And for the first time in 2023, we hear those tones. Happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year. Steam Room. Charles Barkley, Ernie Johnson. Thanks for being here, everybody. And Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year. And man, I'm so excited. We got a special, special, special guest today. I'm not even going to give it away at this point. Happy New Year, Ernie. Right back at you, Chuckster. It was a Happy New Year for, uh, for Georgia. Not yet. It was New Year's Eve when they won, so it yeah, was Happy New Year. But you you got to finish it off. Oh, they will. <laughs> See, <laughs> come on, man. I tell you what. Come on, I'm confident. I got to come up with some type of illness because if Georgia wins again, first of all, you're already unbearable after one. I am not. Ask anybody here on the crew. Am I unbearable when Georgia wins? Yes. Thank you, <laughs> Jason. Said nah. Hey, if they win, that was that was the best college day of football for the playoffs. That easily. was so fun to watch, wasn't it? Both games. Yep. Both games. Yep. So, Georgia and TCU on Monday night. Wow. For all of the uh, marbles, as they say. It's going to be historic either way. Yes, it will be. I mean, Georgia winning back-to-back would be historic. And TCU for the first time Ever. since. Oh, yeah. 1925, something right. like But a smaller school like that winning today. And to beat not saying they are. No, they're not. <laughs> okay. You going to keep interrupting me? I can't even finish my monologue. Not you interrupting oh, no, me. So. Okay, I just can't. <laughs> I know where I know where you're going there, but please let's not feed into that. To beat Michigan and the preeminent program would be one of the coolest accomplishments ever. It would be. Yeah. Not going to happen. Okay. So, okay, so first of all, man I'm going to start with DeMar Hamlin. Yep. I knew you would. Man, uh, thoughts and prayers to that young kid and his family. Man, that was scary. You know what, Chuck? I don't I don't make a habit or it's not like appointment TV for me to watch Monday Night Football or watch the NFL yeah. until the playoffs start because I got enough other stuff going on and watching the NBA. But the other night, I... I got home and I said, this is a big this, game. Yeah, it's a big game. I'm just yeah. going to check it out. Yeah. And as I turn it on, yeah. I see them in the studio and, the, and see that the game yeah. has been uh, been stopped. And then I rewind. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I know. It was just, it was terrifying. I didn't realize how terrifying it was until I got to a television. So I had to go to Alabama so I was f- driving, and they wasn't saying the CPR stuff yeah. on the radio. They're like, he's down. And I'm thinking, like, okay, he's down. And then when I get to my mom's house, I turn on the television. I'm like, oh, my God. And then you're like, wow, this is so scary. And, man, I just uh, – people who know me know football and boxing are my two favorite sports for that reason. It takes tremendous courage to play football and box. Like basketball, we're a bunch of wussies. You know, tennis, same thing. Hockey's tough. But I've always said this. I I played football for one day, and I quit. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. This is not fun. I'm not going to do it. But I got a certain amount of appreciation for, like, you have to really – Love this thing to do this. Run into a guy full speed for two or three hours. Like, I'm not built like that. When we used to have the NFL on TNT Uh back in the 90s, I worked the studio for a while and then was like the... uh, the stadium, you know, I was, I was the host at the stadium. We had a, a studio set up and a, and, a, and a remote set up. And I would watch NFL games from the sidelines. Oof. It, there is nothing to describe what you see nothing. from that vantage point in the NFL, which has always been called, you know, it's a collision sport. Yeah. But y- nothing prepares you no. for these full speed collisions. Collisions. I mean, when you see that, you say, who would do this? Yeah. And um, and then to watch that happen the other the other day, and when I did see the, the play and I saw the replay, you know, how he had gotten up, because I, I saw nothing 
as it, it just looked like a normal yeah. play. And then I said, how, could, how is he down where I, I just saw this tackle being made? Yeah. And then when they showed the replay, it was just, I mean, again, you're just, it's horrific. And what was, what is heartening at this point as the days have gone on is to yeah. hear that he's better. neurologically he's sound. Yeah. He's been squeezing the hands of family members. Mm -hmm. And so that's all encouraging. Yes. Uh, and so. Um, Blessings, man. Oh, man. Like I say, man, to all my football and my boxing friends, man, I admire y'all and respect y'all for going out there doing what y'all do. Uh, and I just want to say, man, bless DeMar and his family. Uh, and I want to give a shout out. You know, people get an NFL crap all the time about concussions and player safety. And we've seen a couple of instances there like that the guy shouldn't go back in the game. They put him mm -hmm. back in the game. But, man, let me tell you something. Those doctors and first responders, man, they save that kid's life. No doubt. And, you know, but we always kick people when they're down saying, hey, they shouldn't have let this guy go back in the game. You saw him stumbling on concussions. And I said, hey, and they're, they're probably right. You know, we don't want guys playing with concussions. But, man, shout out to those people who went out there on that field. And, like, uh, it's, you just got to tell them, man, I, under pressure, giving guys CPR on the field, reviving them. And get them to the hospital quickly. So it's just shout out to the first responders and every doctor involved in that situation. Who's the Bengals head coach? Zach Taylor. I heard him. I heard a, a soundbite with him yesterday yeah. when he said that was the most impressive uh, thing that he had seen in that whole terrible scene. Uh, you know, setting was the calm that these guys all showed as they came out, mm -hmm. recognized the situation, did what they needed to do, and. And again, to your point, they saved his life. They did. On the field. And so shout out to Coach Taylor and Sean McDermott. And I've texted with him a couple of times saying, just thinking about you and your team. And man, because like, it's it's going to be, this is a tough situation. I mean, because these guys got to go about there and do the same thing in three or four days. Uh, so just shout out to, man, DeMar and his family and the Bengals who were great, the Bills who was a situation and all the first responders. Secondly, I want to give a shout out to Jeremy Renner, uh, the actor who was involved in that serious snow incident in Reno. Yeah. Got crushed by a snowplow and man, he uh, hope looked like he's going to be all right. But, you know, I've never met him. I'm just a fan. Uh, but man, that's got to be a scary situation. Uh, and just blessings to Jeremy Renner and his family. Uh, I saw he put up a video with his sister and his mom. And uh, I mean, obviously it's, He's in tough shape, but just shout out to Jeremy Renner because uh, he's a great actor and I'm just a fan. That's the only two tough things we're going to talk about. We got to live in this thing up now because, man, shout out to those two guys. <laughs> man, some stuff going on right now that I got to talk about. Uh, <laughs> these idiots who run our country uh, can't elect the Speaker of the House. <laughs> they had the seventh vote. Still, we don't have a speaker of the house, but it oh, gets, that, so that's you're right up to speed. Then, so the, there's been a seventh vote. Yes, it's okay. a no go. But just just show you how idiotic these people are. The Democrats and the Republicans who are running our country, uh, it, it, you, you just got to laugh. We need to. I needed to lighten up the moment. I got a couple more things, uh, this, but th these people run our country. No wonder we are up in up. Uh, not the TV show Shits Creek, but we're up Shits Creek because these people are running our <laughs> ruining our country. No, you should say it is the TV yeah, show. It that is way. the TV. It is yeah. the TV show. But uh, they're so dysfunctional. And the second thing, my man uh, Santos from New York, he's not Jewish. <laughs> are, you sure he's, are you sure he's from New York? I'm just telling you. <laughs> I want you to know, my man. He y'all said he's lying. He said, and I quote. I didn't say I was Jewish. I said I was Jewish-like. Yeah. I'm not sure what the hell that means. He said, and I quote, you know, y'all give me a hard time. I didn't say I was Jewish. I said I was Jewish-like. And to see this little puppy dog sitting in the chamber the other night by himself, and, like, nobody would speak to him, I was like, please keep the camera on this loser. Because... 
because all you got to do is just laugh. Like he's just sitting there and nobody would speak to him. And it was just great TV watching this idiot sit there. I mean, it was just great. I mean, but I blame the people of New York. Don't you do any homework on people you vote for? Or you just go in there and pull a lever? Like, I would never vote for somebody. Like, I would do, whether I agree or disagree with whatever they stand for, I would actually at least do like, hey, where's he from? Blah, blah, blah. What's his background? Like, don't you do like any type of, due diligence before you pull a lever well, on do someone? you do that before you vote uh yes do you I, look everybody up and say oh he actually didn't go to this college I or actually he didn't do, work for this business I, or is person, that the me or is that the media's responsibility no, uh no i think it's your because i think your vote is really important yeah i mean but how are you so you're going to do the research to say well, i want to see if this guy actually worked at well if a goldman guy, if a uh well i don't know if i would go that far but because, like, I'm assuming if a person said they worked somewhere, I'm assuming they worked well, see, there. That's assuming. You're, yeah. you're assuming everything you're hearing about these folks. Is- I mean, he didn't work somewhere at Goldman, like he said. He yeah. didn't go to college where he said. I mean, yeah, maybe I, you're right to the point. I don't do go extensive. But but if somebody said, you know, back when I won, uh, you know, I'm the only guy to win the Nobel Prize in back-to-back years, yeah. and you'd say, I might want to check that out, but, but I mean that—that's not what what the case was here. It'd be—it would have to be to me something that kind of is. Hold it! What did he just say? Yeah. Is that can that be for real? And I don't think in those instances that it, there was anything that said, "Oh, I but need sh- to check but that out." But should the media had? That's did, why I'm. That's sh- what the media I'm, is that's like. What I'm hey, saying. The guy say like you should do something about if yeah. a guy's running for office. Yeah. There you go. All right. Yeah. So. Mr. Santos. If that's hey, actually your name. Hey, that's exactly right. <laughs> and I'm here for this soccer drama. I'm here for this soccer drama between the Burkhalters and the Rainers. I'm here. Hey, man, you can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. I needed to lighten up the mood, but you guys got to go and read about this Burkhalter Rainer drama. It is some of the craziest, silly, stupidest thing uh, because their son didn't get to play a lot in the World Cup. They bring it up some from 1991. And you just got to go and read the story because you'd be like, are you serious right now? Your son didn't get to play in the World Cup and you're going to trash the coach bringing up some. And like I say, you can't be hitting women, can't be kicking women. But in fairness, the guy's been married to the woman 25 years he went to counsel for kicking her. Shouldn't have kicked her. I'm against all type of domestic violence. I want to make that clear. But this, this wasn't the right way to handle this situation. And, man, everybody, these people should be embarrassed. Uh, the Rainers should be embarrassed. But, man, you can't make this stuff up, Ernie. Thanks for lightening the mood. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right, let's get to our special guests. I'm in a yeah, good mood that's now. What, that's what we normally do, and uh, and we will take a, a short break here on the Steam Room. Hey, Anthony and- Anderson, I'm blackish. I'm not saying I'm black. <laughs> I'm blackish. <laughs> that's well done. Back here on the Steam Room. Um, this is exciting. This is, and and here's the deal. You know, we have these conversations or these text threads with Cap, our outstanding producer of the Steam Room. Uh, outstanding is an exaggeration. Yeah, always asking, you know, so who would you guys like to have on the show at some point? We always are kind of throwing ideas out. Yes. And one of the ideas that we threw out recently um, was Jose Andres, um, because we've seen what he's done with the world central kitchen. Uh you know, uh, just responding to emergencies around the world yes. and providing food to these folks. And to me, Chuckster, he's the perfect first show of the new year kind of a guest yes. because he is, he's an inspiration. I think that, I think you listen, when you listen to him, you're going to, you're going to see what it looks like. You know, we talk about be a better human. Yes. This guy lives this out on a daily basis. And so, uh, it is our pleasure to bring him on, Chef uh, Jose Andres. Um, we are we are pleased to have you here. So thankful that you've made the time. We just have one rule in the steam room. 
<laughs> and that is that you keep your towel on. And, um, and, <laughs> and so thank you and, and happy new year to you. Happy, happy new year to you, Ernie and Charles. And really very proud to be here with you uh, today at the Steam Room. Really looking forward for the conversation. You know, when I found out you were going to be our guest, I said, man, whoever got that's a coup. That is really impressive. My first question before we get into everything, how old were you when you decided to be a chef? <laughs> I'm still thinking I'm still thinking about it, uh, Charles, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, my three daughters, every time I cook for them and I ask them, how was my dish? They always, very often, they give me two thumbs down. No so way. <laughs> I have the most difficult critics right in my home. So sometimes I'm thinking about it. But I think all my life was about food. My mom and my father were nurses, and, but they love to cook. They love to cook and they had to cook. It's not like we could go to restaurants. Uh, the economics of the family in Spain back in the 70s was that you will go to the market and cook very much every day. So for me, I grew up watching my mom and my dad uh, cooking and feeding my brothers and I am friends. And my mom will make amazing dishes with scraps at the end of the month using anything was left over in the fridge. I, I love that. Those dishes were my favorite dishes. Croquetas, those bechamel fritters that my mom will make and will fry and my brothers and I, we, we will devour them. And my father will love to cook for everybody in the hospital. He will make this big paella, this big rice dish for everybody. So as you see, my life was always around cooking. So I'm guessing that it's never been a a beginning and an end. He's been always cooking since the moment I remember. But yes, obviously, uh, professionally, I could say that I began cooking when I was uh, 14, 15, when I went to cooking school, when I was not doing very well in, in high school at all. And my father said, well, you don't go to cooking and see if you, if you like cooking as a profession, because you seem to like it uh, when you are at home. And listen, my life changed forever. And I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a soccer player. I wanted to be a basketball player, but none of those things were good enough for me. I am being a cook. So at the age of 21, you come to the United States from Spain. You go to New York, right? 50 bucks in your pocket. True? So how do you make, how do you make your way right then? If you give this story to Steven Spielberg or Ron Howard, Howard or other they can make a big deal out of it, right? It's true, I came with very little money, but I was very, very proud. I already had a job in a restaurant. I had a bed to sleep. I came with a visa. So listen, my life in a way was a very easy life compared to the many people that during years and centuries, they had a much harder time coming to this amazing country, which is, which is America. But yes, I came with 50, but I've always got very good people around me. I, I think you know this well, uh, Charles and, uh, and you, Ernie. I mean, you are only as good as the people you have around you. And my life has always been a blessing of having people that they always had their best, my best interest in, in them, uh, making sure that I will succeed. So uh, I came with $50, but you know, not like everything was easy, but I would say my life was always surrounded by people that keep pushing me in the back to move forward. So as a chef, what do you cook every day or, or, or sometimes you just relax, but do you cook <laughs> every single day? Uh, listen, I just came back from Christmas in Spain <laughs> And what I do is before I even land in Spain, I already have the, 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 the guys that have the best chickens and the best shellfish and the best vegetables. I want these baby peas from this town and I want these chickpeas from this other town. And <laughs> so imagine before even I land, I, I'm already doing all these phone calls between airport and, and airport. Uh, and so in my vacation, for me, this is what I love to do the most. And I'm cooking for everybody. And the more, the more people, the happier. I think I got this from my father in my DNA. So I'm cooking every time I have the opportunity. 
obviously in my restaurants is very easy. I go in the restaurants, they have all these amazing team members from the cocktail masters to the chefs. Uh, so I could argue that, yes, I cook every day, but obviously my restaurants run because they have amazing, amazing chefs in those kitchens, making sure that they put the dream out one plate at a time. But when you're at home, chef, have you ever said to the family and to those critics, those daughters of yours, hey, we're having leftovers tonight? <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the mother, uh, my wife, my, my my hero, my saint, the, the woman that has kept me in the right path all these years. Well said. She, she, she is a magician also with these leftovers. But it, at times, some, it's not even leftovers because it's this... Is the smart thing to do, especially uh, I can afford not to be eating leftovers. But we know it's a lot of people in America and around the world that leftovers is the difference between eating something and eating or, or eating nothing. Yeah. But for me, leftovers sometimes is, is the best moment of the sequence of making a dish. I mean, you know, in Thanksgiving, if we cook turkey, usually we do, but also we cook baby pig and other things, other creatures, as my daughters say. <laughs> With the leftovers on Friday, Saturday, I make this big empanada, this kind of pie of meat with onion and, and tomato, which is a tradition from North Spain. Oh, my God, those leftovers are better than the dish itself. I got to tell so, you, you know, something. I've got to tell you something, though. You're you're treading on dangerous ground because we record this about noon uh, here in Atlanta, lunchtime. And when you start talking food like that, when Charles is around, <laughs> you completely take him out of his game. His mouth is watering. He's hearing you describe this stuff. And uh, I know that it's this is hard for you, Chuckster. No, I I the pig thing is a really important thing for me yeah. because growing up in Leeds, uh, me and the neighbors, we were all really poor. Once a year, we, we, we bought three pigs and me and my brothers and the other kids in the neighborhood, we went dumpster diving in Birmingham and we're diving in old supermarkets, trash cans, getting everything rotted that we can find to bring back the feed to the pigs. So we went like four months. These pigs would gain like a hundred pounds in four months. And then right before winter, we'd slaughter them. And would you slaughter them, Chuckster? Well, we you got to shoot them in the head. I'm just asking if you did this. No, well, my grandfather shot them in the head because you can't shoot the body because you don't mm -hmm. want pellets in there. And then we hang them up from a tree three pigs, and me and my brothers and the kids in the neighborhood, we scraped this pig for like three hours. For yeah. three, uh, yeah. Like you have to- Look, like, at, the, look at the chef yeah. listening to it's this like story. It's like totally yeah. white, Ernie, when you scrape all the hair off these pigs. And then they cut it open, and it's the most disgusting thing when they cut it open. But then they send the pigs away, and like in two weeks, they come back with, about 25 to 30 packages of meat yeah. for like the five different households. So the, when he starts talking about the pigs thing, I'm like, yo, man, there's nothing yep. like that. <laughs> yep. So you you were, my God, so so you you were already so young when you were into food. This is a part of you. I didn't, I didn't know. You remember Karate Kid when, when they are training the, the young the young boy uh, washing the car and 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 cleaning the car with the right wash on and, wax and, on. and left did, did you learn for basketball any moves as you were scrapping the pigs that made you a better basketball player that would be that kind of would be amazing like, you know like what it the ball up and down no you know what it made me do it made me work really hard at basketball because I didn't know I didn't want to do this stuff for long times. I was like, yeah, Charles, if you don't work hard at basketball, you're going to be stuck in Leeds, Alabama, skinning pigs your whole life. So I used to think about that in the fourth quarter of a game, like, man, you can't be tired because you do not want to go back to Alabama and be scrubbing those pigs down. So th that's what I used to think about in the middle of the game. I'm not going to lie. 
Let's yeah. talk. Let's talk. Uh, it's very difficult to transition from that uh, last topic <laughs> into anything else. But uh, but let's talk about World Central Kitchen. Um, and I think that's how a lot of folks, um, really your name and your face were out there uh, in the middle of these these natural disasters or in the middle of COVID as you were feeding folks and arranging for them to to have something to eat. Uh, where did the idea come from and how did you how did you get everybody on board to make this happen, chef? Well, uh, let me let me let me tell you I mean it's many reasons why World Central Kitchen exists. Um, I remember Katrina and I remember the Superdome and I was sitting in the comfort of my house. And you think, think about it for a second, how we left so many Americans for so many days without food and water in an arena, downtown New Orleans. They were escaping the mayhem of the Long Nine and as the water was racing around across New Orleans. We, we just forgot them. You know what an arena is and a, what a, a stadium is? Everybody has it wrong. Of sure, it's a place we go to see the best of the best, the best basketball players, uh, the best hockey players, the best NFL players, tennis. But actually, if you think about it, a stadium, an arena, it's a gigantic restaurant that entertains with the sports and music. How many food outlets are inside an arena today? What I'm trying to say with this is when we use the, uh, the Superdome to host, to, to give a place for the people to be uh, in safety in the middle of that crazy post-hurricane, food was something that was supposed to happen quick and fast. We only needed a few cooks make sure we could bring some food and then start cooking, opening some of those restaurants. What Central Kitchen began with this simple idea that America is a gigantic restaurant. It's restaurants everywhere. It's cooks and, and volunteers and people that want to help, want to be part of the team everywhere. So let's, let's, let's make that happen. So very much I began World Central Kitchen in Haiti after the earthquake in 2010 destroyed poor Prince, hundreds of thousands of people died, hundreds of thousands of people lost their homes. I went there, quite frankly, not so much to help. I went there to learn how my profession, the profession of people that we feed the few, we could put our talents in emergencies to feed the many. And this is what has happened over the last 12 years. I just came back from Ukraine. We've about uh, to reach 200 million meals, 200 million meals, almost mm. 5,000 volunteers, team members, 600 restaurants. We are in 1,000 towns and villages, but everywhere. You New Orleans, I was last September when, when, when the last earthquake, uh, hurricane hit again. Uh, we, we, during the pandemic, we had, uh, um, we had more than uh, 3,500 restaurants in our system. Uh, we partner with many people in every single state. We went to India to help 100 hospitals in the middle of the pandemic. We, in the middle, we went to volcanoes and hurricanes and earthquakes. Uh, so that's what we do. We, we have a very simple motto. Uh, we copy that from John, John Steinbeck uh, from uh, The Grapes of Wrath. Whatever there is a fight so hungry people will eat, we will be there. We are not a hunger organization uh, in, the, in the long term. We are an emergency food and water organization. Mm -hmm. And I think on that, we are learning how to be quick, fast, and to reach more people and more important, to make sure we bring the local, bring the local community to help us to be better. Why? Because locals know best. And we are an organization that we allow the locals to shine because without them, we couldn't do what we do. Do you get that sense of giving back from your father? I think it's something, Charles, that came slowly. Uh, I think that I, I did the military service in the Spanish Navy. My father, my mother being nurses, I spent a lot of time in the hospital because we didn't have uh, anybody to take care of my three brothers and I at home. 
So sometimes the hospital was the place that my mom and my father would exchange <laughs> my brothers and I from car to car. And, and, and I saw the, the extra mile that every nurse, every doctor goes every day. Uh, you know, uh, in this pandemic, we saw heroes every single day by people working beyond what they could uh, do to try to save lives. So yes, I guess that was very important uh, for me. But again, was many was many moments in my life. Uh, in 1993, when I arrived in Washington, D.C., I went to an organization called D.C. Central Kitchen, very, very close to the arena uh, where the Wizards uh, play. And this is an organization that was created by Robert Egger, uh, a guy that became like my food mentor, my food Jedi, my food fighter. And he was doing something simple. He was giving people hope. Everybody talks about food waste, guys, but it's the wrong conversation. Of sure, we should not be wasting food when we have hungry people in America and in the world. But it's about wasting people's lives. It's not about food waste. It's about people. And this organization began taking people out of the streets, giving them a place to belong, uh, giving them a job, a training, bringing food that was about to be thrown away, and making meals that then we will distribute to the community in D.C. 10,000 meals a day, 35 years later, every day. In the process, those men and women learn a profession, cooks. In the process, they were the ones helping feed the people in need. People like them not too long ago. And in the process, those men and women will graduate. And restaurants like mine, we will be able to hire them, giving them not only the opportunity to belong, but giving all of us the opportunity to create a better city one meal at a time. All these and other stories were important stories for me in, in doing what I do. All of us, we got influence from others. For me, when I was in the Navy, I was 300 people on a tall ship for mass. First time I came to America was as a sailor in the Spanish Navy. For me to see teamwork, 300 people, that's a matter where the winds came from or the, or the currents in the ocean was pushing the boat. Working together, we could overcome every obstacle and always reach safe port. The teamwork for me is something I learned in the Navy. My father, maybe my mother, many other people, Robert Egger, DC Central Kitchen, all those things as a young boy began shaping in me that again, we cannot be forgetting those when we can do something about it, that we all must be people of action, boots on the ground. You don't win a game if you don't put your sneakers on and you hit the court. We can change and improve things in life, but we need to put our boots and we need to start playing the game. If we do that, we have a chance to win it, but we have to be playing on the court. Chef, that is so well put, number one. Number two is that often when these catastrophic situations occur, we see the images on the news from the safety and the warmth of our homes. Yeah. But for you, when you fly into one of these areas and as you say, boots on the ground there, what are you filled with when you see this face to face? Well, I think the hardest part is always when you go back to the comfort of your room. Not every time uh, the teams, not only of World Central Kitchen, but there's so many organizations around the world that in this minute, you and I were having this conversation, are somewhere helping people under very difficult situations. Um, uh, for me, when I go back to the comfort of my room today, I'm talking to you from, from Las Vegas and I'm in a very comfortable hotel. Not always in an emergency you can do that. Very often we are sleeping in the middle of nowhere uh, because there's no other option. But very often we go to a place that is a safe heaven for us. For me, the hardest is to know that I'm leaving people behind that, that are going to be sleeping with no roof and it's raining, that uh, they have no electricity, that they don't have water to wash, you know, clean themselves. Um, but a little bit of comfort to know that the community is used coming together and we're making sure that food and water and sometimes medicines and other things uh, are going to be taken care of for those people. So for me, what is, gives me a lot of joy, if I could say, 
is just to see that in the worst moments of humanity, the best of humans show up. Mm. Uh, maybe in a place that, that you have distinctive neighborhoods where uh, here is black people living and here is white people living and, and here is rich people living and here are poor people living. And in those moments, it's fascinating to see how everybody comes together. And people that never talk to each other or never work together in some places, all of a sudden they become one, we the people. That there is no any more Republicans or Democrats. There is just one team trying to win the game. And this is bringing relief to people. So unfortunately, in the worst moments is when you see the best of people. That's maybe why I love to go to those. I am one more volunteer. I'm the founder. Sometimes, yes, because, you know, I've been doing this now for a long time. I, I gain experience and, and I try to be a voice, more a, a whisper to the amazing team leaders of Wall Central Kitchen. And when it's a big one, I try to go because I keep learning and I keep sharing with me whatever experiences I have. Well, for, we definitely don't need Democrats or Republicans. I agree with you on that. Uh, but so Ernie thinks that I'm crazy. Would you please tell him there's nothing wrong with a well-done steak? <laughs> I mean, listen to me, Charles. When I learned that you eat your, your, your steak like rubber, it, <laughs> I felt so disappointed. Man, Thank you. I mean, I always, I, I love you. I, I think you are a charismatic person. I hope I'll see more of you, more, more of you too in the years to come. But I know you, Charles, forever. Because <laughs> uh, I've been... I was a young, I was a coach when I was young of a, of a, of a basketball uh, girls team in my hometown uh, near Barcelona, where I grew up. Basketball has been always a big passion, big, big passion of mine. And, and, and you were one of my favorite players. I'm not going to Thank lie. you. Thank you. Your charisma, your, your, your game, your, and I would say you are a very raw player. You are who you are yeah. in and out. And if you're a role player, how the heck you like me? It's so well done, man. What's wrong here with you? We need to fix that. I know I have time. I'm going to make my best. That one day, the great Charles Barkley will move away from the well-done meat. And maybe one day we'll have a meat done as was supposed to be, which is rare. At the most, medium rare. Hey, hey chef, that's not all, okay? And I've been telling Chuck this for years. Because you know how he eats his steak? He cuts up, he cuts the entire thing up before he eats a bite. That's wrong, oh my God. correct? Oh, this is totally wrong. <laughs> this is totally wrong. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, it's like the free throws, Charles. You don't throw all the free throws at the beginning of the game. You throw <laughs> the free throws as the free throws show up, man. I mean, Thank you. Like, there hey, you go. Hey, ref, I'm going to throw the 20 free throws in minute one, and then I don't have to throw them later. Come on, Charles. <laughs> you don't do this for a lot of reasons. Pure piece of meat. It gave his life, her life, for you to eat it, to chop it up before you even start. I mean, some respect here, Charles. Please. <laughs> well, if you like it this way, do me a favor. Tell the chef to cut it for you, and then you have nothing to do. Uh, which, <laughs> actually, actually, it will be fine to do. And you yeah. may argue, well... Why I don't do it? Well, if the chef can do it, why I don't do it? Yeah, you tell the chef, you'll make the chef happy. But 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 yeah, uh, but, but I think eating the meat well, well done, oh my God. <laughs> we need to chime. I understand barbecue. I understand barbecue. But the grilled piece of meat, especially ribeye, I mean, you have to eat it less cook. It's still I like you, Chuck. I, I will never use this against you. A couple other quick hitters for you, chef. Charles yeah. describes kale. He says kale is just lettuce that's more expensive. Kale is lettuce that is more expensive? Well, well, uh, 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 this phrase doesn't give me a lot of information, quite frankly. I'm, I was expecting much more from you, too, actually. Listen to me. He is implying, this looks like a political talk. Is he implying that lettuce is not good enough uh, uh, at all. He just—he's not a kale fan. No, I'm uh, no, I'm saying I'm saying all lettuce is the same. They just charge you more when they call it kale. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now that's very strange. I, I will say that I love kale. I got to love kale once I came to America. 
We have other types of kale where I grew up in Spain, similar. But kale is a very delicious thing. And obviously, it's very traditional in many parts across uh, the States. Uh, it's many preparations. But uh, let me put it this way. Whatever we pay sometimes, even uh, it's not like I want foods to be expensive because it's about families that need to feed their family and sometimes they don't have enough money. But every time we pay for something, Charles, we need to remember who is behind bringing that food to our table. Uh, you, you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast about how hard was your work on frapping the pigs and getting the pigs ready to be, to be eaten. Uh, making food is hard work. It's always somebody working hard in the, in, in, in the farms, in the sea, uh, 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 working early in the morning until late at night, making sure that we have food in our supermarket so we can feed our family. So I, I know I'm getting deeper here, uh, but the truth is, give some respect to Kel, give some respect to Prince. They don't, they've done nothing to us. They only want the best for us. They want to be like you and me, and they want to be loved and liked. Well, I and think you need to do one thing, Charles. Speak to your vegetables. Speak to them and they will talk back to you. And if you speak to them and they speak back to you and you listen to what they have to tell you, they will tell you, eat more spinach, yeah. eat more kale. Don't overcook your steak, please. I like when I'm more pink. They will tell you things maybe you are not aware of right now. And, and perhaps show some more respect to avocados because you're, you're not an avocado fan either. I was in a Mexican restaurant, and I think everybody talks about that Mr. Barkley doesn't like avocados. And has never tried guacamole. You look like, you don't like guacamole. I mean, it's almost like, it's like, <laughs> it's a scene. Who, who cannot like guacamole? You know, Charles, before getting to meet you, you know, like now we are best friends after this podcast. <laughs> I would say that you are an, a guacamole guy. You are a guacamole. I mean, the way you play, you are guacamole. I mean, <laughs> the way you, you move in the court, off the court, the way you smile, you are guacamole. I cannot believe it's something. It's, I think you need me in your life, Charles, and I'm going to fix all these things uh, on your behalf if you give me an opportunity. You are a guacamole guy. I'm telling you. You say you got three daughters. Yeah. I was not great. Well, let me refer to it. I was awful when they start bringing boys home. How are you? I mean, first of all, I don't even yeah. know how old your daughters are, but how were you as a dad when they started bringing boys home? Well, yeah, they don't bring boys home in my home. I mean, I have three, 23, 21, and 19. And when they began bringing friends, um, I have a big collection of knives. Big collection of knives. <laughs> and many of them are unused. And my first phrase will be, and by the way, you see all these knives, they've never been used before. I think this was a very polite way to send a very clear message. <laughs> um, uh, listen, uh, uh, my, my daughter, you know, they have a great group of friends. And, but yeah, it's, I agree with you, Charles. It's like, like, I have three little daughters that not too long ago, I just was holding them in my arms. And now they are become this amazing three young women who we did this TV show that is in Discovery Plus, Jose Andres and family in Spain. And where now they are so opinionated that they are bitching about it, that their names are not in the title of the show. Hey, family, <laughs> what family? Do you have other families? Uh. We are. Yes, Lucia and Carlota. So it's not anymore these three girls. They've never been that they do whatever their daddy tells them to do. Like they're going to second guess me all the time. They're going to show me better ways all the time. And they're going to be highly opinionated all the time, which is in the way it should be. So I'm very, very proud of them. But the knives is real. I have knives. They've never <laughs> been used. So those boys, they better be good. They get the message. And we'll be checking out Jose Andres and family in Spain. Uh, Six-part series. Uh, has just uh, debuted at the end of December on Discovery Plus. And we can't thank you enough, Chef, for joining us today. This uh, was awesome and special. Thanks for your stories and thanks for your inspiration to uh, to get out there and to and let's look after one another. Uh, let's do that. And I hope to see you guys um, very, 
very soon in Washington, D.C. You're always welcome there. Or I'll go see you in Atlanta or anywhere else in America around the world that our lives may take us. Hey, this was an honor and a privilege. Continue success. And Happy New Year, too. Happy New Year. So listen, uh, uh, maybe we were supposed to do it, but, you know, uh, the mother, I don't know even why I didn't tell you, but the mother of Pau Gasol was the boss of my mother. Really? really? She wow. was. That's but a- I never met Pau until uh, he moved to Los Angeles. And happens, I opened a restaurant in L.A. And it's when we became very good friends and Mark and everybody and all the Spanish mafia, Calderon and uh, Ricky Rubio, uh, Ibaka, all the Spanish mafia. Wow. Nice little nugget to drop there on the way to break. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you, Chef. Yeah. So, guys, see you soon. Thank you for inviting me. And until I see you again. All right. See you. That was amazing. Yeah. Some great people in the world. No doubt. Back here inside the steam room. uh, I am refreshed. Yeah, well, you should be. We had a couple of weeks off. I know. Yeah, uh, I feel that way too. Yeah, I feel like I got a little. I'm glad to be got back. A little bounce. Happy New Year, Mr. Kylie. Got the Happy legendary, Year, the legendary longtime producer of Inside the NBA, Tim Kylie here, and the lionized Ernie Johnson. He lies. No, lionized. Okay, no, you're That's lionized. Well, you're lionized. I, I got to give you some. Chuck. You know how you always talk about a brotherhood. Yes, we have a brotherhood. Yep. I want to give you this for brotherhood. That's if you could put that on your head for a minute. That's Demar Hamlin's high school, which is my high school. You went to high school where he, where he went? Central Catholic. So that's our high school. And uh, I know you said some kind words about him. Our, my best friend is the head coach. And I uh, talked about the unbelievable kid. You know, yeah. just yeah, some, some of the stories overcame. about the man in our business, which is media, we get beat to death with negative stuff. Whether it's news, whether it's salacious in sports and things like that, man, there's so many good people out there like this kid. But the fans, I mean, his tour drive is over six million dollars yeah, now. Yeah, man, and it, it it brightens my heart that when when we get a chance to see how great people are, because unfortunately in our business, negativity sells, and we kind of get beat to death every day by negative stuff. But when you saw the humanity, you saw the people, man, to see those grown men crying on the field for their brother, you see the fans crying, it just made me feel good. And now to see all the money that random strength, don't even know this kid from Adam, $6 million, it probably gonna go a lot higher, but for $6 million to be raised, for some kids you don't know because you have empathy for him and his family. Man, there's so much good out there. Yeah, he's, he's a great kid, I can attest. But uh, I, I know Arnie reported that his conditions improved, and you know we're all hopeful. Yes. Our brotherhood at Central Catholic. So Thanks to all those folks who were playing, praying for him, too. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it changes things. It really and, does. And, and you know what's interesting you know, I watch a lot of sports stuff. Guys who actually played football, the Damian Woody, Marcus Spills, Ryan Clark, Dan Olofsky, uh, Rob Nikovich, guys like that, to see the pain and anguish that they were going through was like, wow. You know, because like I say, when you in the brotherhood, football, like I say, I always look at all sports. But when you in that particular brotherhood, man, you could just see how hard it was for them to talk about that on television. Yeah, it was. It was tough. I was tough. I, uh, I'll try to make a transition now. Yeah, got to. By asking yeah. Ernie a question, if I could. Ernie, have you ever heard of Scott Stallings? I have heard of Scott Stallings. Uh, he is. Yeah, this is up your wheelhouse. He, the golfer? He is the golfer. 54th ranked golfer in the world. Won, P- won three PGA titles. Yes. And has been apparently wear, uh, wearing out his walking to his mailbox to f- wait for his master's invitation, which he hasn't received yet. As it turns out, there are two Scott Stallings that live in Georgia. Oh, I saw that the other guy got it. And here's the direct message from Scott Stallings to Scott Stallings. Hi, Scott. My name is Scott Stallings as well, and I'm from Georgia. 
My wife's name is Jennifer, too. Her IG is blacked out. We have a condo, and I received the FedEx today from the Masters inviting me to play in the Masters tournament April 6th and 9th on 2023. I'm 100% sure this is not for me. I play, but wow, nowhere near your level. It's a very nice package to complete with everything needed to attend. I think we have some confusion because of our names, our wife's names, and geographical location. I can be reached at blank, and I am more than happy to send this package to you. I'm 100% sure this is not for me, <laughs> but I play wow. <laughs> exactly. So he, is, he, he did get, his, he did get the, the real estate Scott Stallings sent, uh, the golfer Scott Stallings, an IG. Uh, it's Instagram, Chuck, for, for you. And, uh, and that's how they connected, and he's got the— he's I'm got really the, not uh, kidding, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> that is tremendous. As you say so, all the time, tremendous. Yeah. That is tremendous. I, all, all I would say— No, first of all, Ernie, first of all, you show up. All, yeah, all no, I would no, say is— I, No, look, I, I, that's, I, that's, I, that's I, a mistake, but I need to keep this, and no. I'm going to have it framed, and it's going to go in my uh I, I was going to ask Ernie, cave. Would, would you— Even though you've already played Augusta, would you just say, what the heck, and— Bring your sticks and show up and just hundred percent. You would do that. Thank God, hundred percent. Just to be able to hit balls. how long until I get? Because uh, <laughs> let me ask you a question. Yeah. If he shows up with the invitation, they probably got to let him on, right? Or any other? Yes. Uh, uh, you think the other players gonna be like? Because he ain't gonna be telling people he's Scott Stalling, Scott Stalling. He's just gonna just go out there and start hitting balls. No, exactly. Mm -hmm. And like. Never know. That's a tremendous story. It's 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 got a good finish to it. Speaking of finishes, uh, the chef was unbelievable. He was great. Uh, and people here, everybody in the studio is stunned that you've never tried guacamole. Because it's disgusting looking. Well, we're going to take a look okay. and see. Abby's coming out with it. Hey, go dogs, Abby. That looked good to y'all. Oh, it's awesome, man. That looked good to y'all. Yeah. Well, go ahead and try it. Come on, man. You got to try it. <sighs> da, 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 da. Can I, seriously, that looks appetizing Just to put a little dab on the end of a chip and put wine in it. More than a little dab. No, I'm not, I'm not going to put more than a little dab. We'll be the judges of how, come on, let's go. You got to have, there, that's, yeah, that'll give you an idea. Oh, eat it with the chip, dude. Come on, man. Yeah, what's the verdict? That's not bad, he's going to say. I didn't say it was good. That's not bad, That's though. not a theory if it's not bad. Well, then, okay, just be good. describe it. Mush. <laughs> it's just a little pile of mush. Would you eat another one? Nope. Come on. I tried it. You said try it. No, I know. I, you, you know. And the first time, it don't taste like anything. It tastes like, says. Tastes like avocados. It's a, it looks, it's just a little green patch of mush. That's what it tastes like. It's just mushy stuff. But now you can say, yeah, uh, at tried. least you said, no, okay. I've tried guacamole. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather not have any tonight. Hey, I've uh -huh. tried it, but hey, no thank you. Let me tell you something. I almost went through the TV and started swinging on Chef when he called me a loser for getting my steak well done. Yeah, you you are lucky. Loser. You're lucky I got some, some, some self-control. Yeah, and I loved I his advice. Lucky. His advice to you is that next time you order, just have him cut it up in the back so... So you're not. <laughs> but see, okay, he did say something that I can ask you. Like, he said you eat it rare as possible. You agree with that? No, I go medium rare. I, go I rare. actually go, I go medium. I go rare. Hit it over the head and give it to I, me. No, I go medium. I, I can't and, even get it medium well. Well, just anything. Just don't do shoe leather. Well yeah, done. Yeah, exactly. You Come know? on. All right, last thing. I got to wrap it up, boys. Chuck, just simple prediction. Ernie's going to make his in the next segment. Who do you like in the game? It's 14 point spread. I'm taking TCU. I can already tell you that right now. I so I wager too much there, big dog. So I had TCU and I had Ohio State. I won both games last week. I thought Georgia would win the game by a field goal, and I ended up being right. I I I knew Michigan was not gonna win by eight. But I think Georgia is going to win the game, but I'm betting on TCU plus 14. Friendly wager? It's not enough. Friendly wager, Ernie? Anything that uh, uh, what you can do we, think What of? do we normally do? 
Chuckster? A hundred dollars. Okay, yeah. that's fine. All right. And I'm giving you fourteen. Yeah. Is that the line? That's the line. You want fifteen? Yeah. You know oh, what? Ooh, Ernie is you know slinging what? it. See, you, I'll give you seventeen. Oh. Riverboat Ernie. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll, it. I'll give you seventeen and. When I win that, you eat some more uh, guacamole next week. Deal. Deal. And some fried okra. Nobody eats okra. (laughs) (laughs) Okra is more disgusting than guacamole. I love uh, okra. It's great. Okra is not great. It's just a slimy. Put it in gumbo. It's all over. You got TCU and 17. Yes. Everything is good in gumbo. That's a caveat. (laughs) Okay, there you go. We'll be back to wrap it up with the answering machine right after this. Guacamole. Jeez. Chuck and Ernie in steam room. Come and join us in steam room. Chuck and Ernie in steam room. Leave your towel on in steam room. Chuck and Ernie in the steam room. Chuck and Ernie in the steam room. Leave your towel on in the steam room. (laughs) (laughs) Makes you laugh every time. Welcome back here to the Steam Room, you loyal steamers. Thanks for joining us for a show of 2023. What is what? That thing on the table. We talked about that when we came on, when we started the show. It's a Georgia football element. National championship game coming up on Monday. Just wanted you to bring it out again. Um, We have four calls on Chuck's answering machine today. And the number, by the way, 404-987-0330. If you have something that you uh, uh, want Chuckster to hear. And and again, we do. We take calls from all corners of the globe. I love it when we get calls from all over the world. world. Then apparently, I'm told by Cap, you will probably like this first one. Hello, world. This is Charles Barkley. Leave me a message. Hey, Chuck and Honey. I'm a loyal listener from Dubai. Chuck, you always keep talking about visiting many countries in the world. That's what you want to do when you retire. How do you feel about foreign food? And uh, what kind of different cuisines do you try and some dishes to try from foreign food? Thank you. I think the whole show has kind of taken his food angle after we had uh, well, chef, chef on earlier. Chef had a great point. Uh, first of all, I love Spain. Mm-hmm. The only thing I don't like about Spain, all that meat they give you before your meal and the olives. You fill up on that. You fill up on that. First of all, that's well, some, you, well it's, that's a self-control issue. It's an, good, appa- it's an appetizer, it, Chuck. It, it, if it's good, you're going to keep it's, eating it's it. It's an appetizer. Because, you know, I love olives, too. But yeah. that that, I guess in Spain, they... That's their specialty, that carpaccio, mm-hmm. the salamis and things. They are amazing. Do they eat too late uh, for you in some of these places? Like I remember yes. go, I remember going to Greece. Yeah, you eat I was covering a track meet and I was like, Hold it. We're not we're not going to we're going to dinner at ten fifteen? Really? Yeah. 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 I, that doesn't bother me. Cause then cause you know Oh, you could eat at all hours. Yes. Especially if it's good. <laughs> but you know, the chef said something, he mentioned paella, which mm-hmm. is Probably one of my most, like, it's hard to get gr- good paella in the States, but in Spain, man, it is unbelievable. The different type of meats you can get in there, it is amazing. Uh, I actually have been to Dubai. Mm-hmm. I did a USO tour. I went to Kuwait, Dubai, Qatar, Iran too, I think. Iran, Kuwait, Dubai, and Qatar. Yeah, I think that was it. I did a USO tour, which really one of the coolest things I've done. Uh, it was kind of crazy, though, because I couldn't tell my family because, you know, they worried about the terrorists. They would love mm-hmm. to kill a celebrity. So when you go, they set it up like months in advance and you can't tell anybody because they're like, you never, you saw, I couldn't tell my mother and grandma. This is how long ago it was. Yeah. They're like, they might be listening and because they sneak celebrities in and out all the time, because like I say, it just ain't safe. They would love to, you know, those terrorists. If they kill the celebrity, it'd be, they'd be going crazy. So I had to keep it a secret for like two months, you know. And I talked to my mom and grandmother like every day, basically my entire life, and 
my mother and grandma, when I got back, I was over there like for 10 days, if I remember correctly. When Why I got didn't back, you call? What the hell you been, boy? <laughs> and you know, my grandmother doesn't play. I said, Mom, I, granted, I couldn't tell y'all. I did a USO tour. I went and visited the troops. I was in Iraq, Kuwait, Kuwait, Dubai, and Qatar. And you're like, what? You went over there and didn't tell? I said, I couldn't tell you. We had to keep it a secret. And the thing that was funny, so when we're flying in, when we're flying in, Ernie, the plane starts doing this. He was like, yo, man, what the hell going on over there? He's <laughs> like, they're like, well, we have to do that just in case they got one of them arm RPGs, I think they call yeah. them. I said, what do you mean? Those shoulders rockets, they could shoot us down. I'm like, you didn't tell us that. That wasn't in the, manif in the manifest. Oh, and man. I was like, you know, so we going in and we're doing just like this. And I was like, you're getting going crazy. He's like, Wait, what do you mean handheld shoulder things? He like, yeah, we have to avoid those. I would pay good money to hear you rattle off the names of those countries again. Because when you said, I know, I could swear there was a Kauai in there. That was Kuwait. Not, there was Iraq, an Iraq, Kuwait, Dubai, and Qatar. <laughs> yeah, but Iraq, you should have heard it when you Iraq, <laughs> Kuwait, Dubai, and Qatar. Yeah, it didn't exactly hey, come and, out that way. I tell you, was some funny. What? It was fun at the time. So I'm, I'm right there on the, the, the Iraqi border with some troops. And these little kids are like 20, 30 yards away. And I, they had, at first they had no idea who I was. So I start walking toward them. And the guys are like, be careful, Charles. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, just be careful. And they started getting closer to me. Because they're like, hey, you never know what these kids, you know, you've seen things in the movies. Well, like, and I was like, whoa. I was like, I says, I don't even know what to do. They're like, we got your back, but be careful. You never know. If you see anything, it was it was it was great wow. though. Wow. Yeah. Um, let's go to call number two. Chuck and Ernie, hey, this is Matt from Richmond, Virginia. Chuck, hey, question for you. I was just listening to one of your recent episodes and you're talking about wanting to meet Miles Teller, but you quote, didn't want to bother him. I was wondering if there is a celebrity code of ethics when it comes to wanting to meet somebody else. When and where uh, are the times to do that? Thanks. Love your show. Bye -bye. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, and I have a story to go with this. The, after the, the reason it's a tricky uh, subject, my man, like I've, I, I'm a big Miles Teller fan. He's fantastic. Uh, I've, I mean, I've seen him in, obviously, obviously, I've seen him now in Top Gun, but he's been in a lot of great things. Like Whiplash. Uh, which I haven't seen yet. Uh, he was great. At, uh, he was in that Vinny Pazienza movie. Yeah. Yeah, he was great in that. Mm -hmm. um, so answer the question on ethics. Well, I never thought I'd ask let me you just, to let, let me, Okay, see, there you go. <laughs> As the man who has... Uh, you're just, such a good person. You just, can open your computer up on television. <laughs> There's no chance Chuck just, is holding up his computer on television. Okay, just, zero. just answer delete, the question. Delete, delete, delete. Okay, just answer so, the question. It's a really slippery slope, my man, because if you walk up to a celebrity you want to meet and they're an asshole, you'd never get over it. And it's traumatic. It's happened. I'm not going to call any names. So, some like, every celebrity is not friendly. Mm -hmm. Every celebrity is not friendly. And I don't judge them by that. Because, like, sometimes, you know, they've been doing it for a long time. They just don't. They're sick of it. And, and like, so uh, I am very careful who I walk up to. Unless they make eye contact with me and acknowledge me, I don't walk up on them. Because like I say. Yeah, but you're the Chuckster. They'll know, recognize know, you and that, say, but, but, oh, Charles. Yeah. And, and hopefully. It's, they, not like it's, it's not like it's just somebody but, coming up from yeah, nowhere. But, but, hopefully, but hopefully they accord you. And, yeah. they, and they, first of all, I think they should be. Just say right. hello and keep it moving. Yeah. But. You got to understand something, Ernie. These people have to deal with this shit every single day. Yeah. See, people think they're the only person that's coming to say hello to you, and it, and that's it during that time. They don't understand, like, yeah, man, these people deal with this every single day. They're not allowed to have a bad day. And all it takes is one person to say, man, this guy blew me off. <laughs> yeah. He was so rude or, you know. Yeah. But, but we were doing March Madness one year, and I walked downstairs, and Chuckster is sitting here with a, a few other folks and says, hey, do you think that's, uh, that looks like Julie Louis-Dreyfus over there? Yes. But I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I'd like to meet her, but I don't, I said, I'll, I'll introduce you. Because I had met her. Yeah. In France, Cheryl Ann and I had been over there, 
Um, and and we had met, and her, you know, her son was going to Northwestern to play oh, for yeah. Chris Collins, and yeah. so we had this big long conversation. So I felt totally comfortable going up and and saying, "Hey, uh, how are you doing? Good to see you again. We met in France." And then I said, "You know, Charles Barkley, he would." And, oh, and of course she wanted yeah, she to was meet awesome. the Chuckster. Yeah, but, but that's that, and that makes it all worthwhile because I'm a I'm a fan, right? Like when I meet an NFL player, a, a boxer, a baseball player, like. I, one thing about being a jock, we're all in the same fraternity. Uh, you know, because I felt a certain type of way when that kid got hurt, when DeMar got hurt. Right. Like, because I look at him as part of my fraternity. Anybody that plays sports is part of my fraternity. Like, they know what it goes through to get there. Because once you get to the pros, you're a good player. Yeah. Like, every player is not a great player. But if you get to the pros, you're a good player. Hey, I made a mistake. We don't have four calls. We have three. Okay. Would you like to hear the last one? Yes. Good. Let's do it. From 50 for the win in a spot in the national championship game. It's on the way. No good. He hooked it. And Georgia is going to survive. This is a phone call? Not a good one. Hey, you know the thing I noticed about that? Uh, so did somebody just call the answering machine and play that? Is that what happened? It's Cal? probably my friend Jason Brady, who's other than you the biggest Georgia Bulldog fan uh, in the world. Oh, that's, that's unbelievable. But you know what's funny about that call? That was the quickest, it's no good in the history. It was of, immediate. Yeah. Like, I, I just... And I, I feel for... I, I hate it when it comes down to to one guy. Well, you that know? Was, to me, that, well... See, I actually had a like Ryan Day is a terrific coach, but I thought he made a mistake to be honest with you. And I hate playing Monday morning quarterback because they had three plays to get that kid closer. I don't consider a fifty yard field goal a, a chip chippy. Shot. No, no. I know. Especially with all that riding yes, on it. Yes, like I thought he should have tried to get him, especially in college where every time you get a first down, the clock stops. I thought he could have tried to throw for another two, a couple more first downs. So. I'm not going to – I mean, I saw the internet. You know, you know, it's so funny. People know I don't listen to the internet. But when I say I saw it on the internet, let me make this perfectly clear. I am not <laughs> a loser, okay? I don't live on the internet. I get all my internet stuff from Bleacher Report, okay? That's the only time I look at comments and things like that. I don't ever surf the internet. I'm never going to do any social media. I don't care about that. Because I'm not a loser like some of you people are who live on the <laughs> internet and think y'all opinion matter. But I'm religiously addicted to a Bleacher Report. I think they do a fabulous job. They keep me up to date on all my sports. I will occasionally go to ESPN to check some stuff out because I think they do a good job. But when I say internet stuff... Don't think I'm lying. No, I'm not a loser. I don't stay on the internet reading what everybody, y'all damn idiots got to say. But shout out to Bleach Report. They do a great job. Well, nice way to way to uh, pump up the company. That was really nice. Great way to and, end. And, and let me just leave it on this note. Huh. To the loser who called that last call. Thank well, you. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for the first episode of uh, 2023 well on the Steam played. Room, season Ernie. four. Yes. Good luck, Monday. Thank you very much, Chuckster. Good luck, Monday. 45 to 17. You You're heard getting it out of hand first. right now, Ernie. You're huh? getting out of hand right now. You predicted a blowout like that? Um, yes. See you next week, folks. <laughs>